Merry Christmas. Can we just admit it, right? I mean, you know, that's the truth of the deal, whether we want to admit it or not. This, you know, most wonderful time of the year can be a little bit of a problem. So some things we're doing to help you with it, all right? Number one is I'm writing every day. My daughter's helping me with it. My Nashville daughter, Rachel, she's helping with this. Uh, Well, every day on my blog, I'm writing uh, an Advent kind of a calendar for you. So if you could use a little bit something extra to pray for, this is timharlow.com. Just go on there, and you could follow along every day during the Advent season. Maybe next year we'll uh, publish these or something, but just a way for us to encourage you along the way. Number two is, you know that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is not to sing Christmas songs for all to hear. It's to give to other people, okay? Alpha's wrong. It's about, it's about giving, and we've, we got hundreds of kids signed up last week by different things, uh, Parkview kids, other kids that are going to get presents. But if you'd still like to get in, we'd love to have you get in on it, and there's some stuff out there in the foyer for you to be able to do. You at Lockport as well, okay? And so stop out and help us with that. Christmas Eve services, that's the other way we can encourage you. We have been working tirelessly around the clock at Parkview to get ready for Christmas Eve. We will have 14 services, ladies and gentlemen, 10 at Orland, 4 at Lockport. At Orland, we'll do our weekend, regular five weekend services, add two on Monday, three on Tuesday. At Lockport, you're going to do Sunday morning normal, and then Monday, Monday night at 7, and then Tuesday at three are going to be the four that you're going to have. We're going to give you an opportunity to come, and we're listing these out for you, getting you ready for them, so that you can be ready to come and be a part of our Christmas. It's going to be unbelievable. Videos, funny stuff, great, you know, uh, dramatic things that are going to happen, and, and it's going to be a great, ser- a great sermon and a great, uh, a great weekend, so I hope you'll be a part of that. The other thing that you could do to help us <clears throat> is to volunteer. And your bulletin is a little volunteer form. I would encourage you, I mean, with 14 services, you could probably serve one and go to one. And that's what I'd really love for you to do. Ushers, you know, kids connection workers, all that kind of stuff, really going to be looking for it. And hey, let me just say this. Jesus wasn't the only one born in December, right? Anybody here born in December? Let me just find out. Okay, right? It kind of stinks, doesn't it? I know I get that. My wife, I just, you know, she's obviously not here because I'm telling you this. Her birthday is Tuesday. She gets her AARP card. I just want you, if you know my wife, make sure you say congratulations on that card. She, she doesn't look like it. You know, she gets carded in restaurants sometimes, but she's going to be 50, man. It's pretty awesome. So uh, fit, finding Christ in your Christmas. It is a Christmas. If you've got a birthday in December, it kind of makes it even, even crazier. If you're married to somebody that's got a birthday in December, it's really crazy because, you know, I've got to figure out how to buy all this stuff and make all these things happen. And, and we want it to be the most wonderful time of the year, but, but usually things go wrong. My favorite, this is all you need to remember from the whole, you know, sermon, all right? This is my favorite Christmas story of all time. This woman wrote, I was taking a shower when my two-year-old son came into the bathroom and wrapped himself all up in toilet paper. Although he made a mess, he looked adorable, so I ran for the camera and took a few shots. They came out so well, I had copies made and included one with each of our Christmas cards. Days later, a relative called about the picture, laughing hysterically and suggesting I take a closer look. (laughs) Puzzled, I stared at the photo and was shocked to discover that in addition to my son, I had captured my reflection in the mirror wearing nothing but a camera. Sent it out to all my Christmas cards. There you go, right? That's the kind of stuff that you kind of expect to happen at Christmas um, and, and really... There's not a movie that could probably portray it any better than Christmas Vacation. 
It's supposed to be, there's a happy feeling nothing in the world can buy, right? When they pass around the chocolate and a pumpkin pie. Have, can I just ask you a question? Have you ever had a Christmas that looked like a picture print from Courier and Ives? I haven't. And the real problem is we don't get how messy the real first Christmas was or we wouldn't expect the Christmas that we're having right now to be any different, right? We, we don't understand the mess. We sing Silent Night, Holy Night. We don't really, you know, we picture this serene little nativity scene, you know, and forget that this is a teenage mom who just gave birth to a baby in a barn, okay, with nobody around but her husband and some smelly shepherds and some foreign dudes. We forget how the story goes because we've seen it so much. And if you think your Christmas is a mess, listen to the first one all over again. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Okay? I wanted to point out those two words. Was, supposed to all, everything be perfect, right? But. They're two words that, that you use together in a sentence to describe something being reversed, right? It could be a positive thing if it was going to be a negative thing. If was was a bad thing, then the but is a good thing, right? If was is I was going to have to figure out what to buy my wife for Christmas, and the but is, but she filled out an Amazon wish list and now my brain won't explode and everything's going to be okay, right? That's positive. Ladies, please help the brothers out here. We have no idea what to get you for Christmas. Not a clue. And don't say, oh, just surprise me because my wife told me that one year and I woke her up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning and said, boo. And it just didn't work, I'm telling you, okay? <laughs> the, if, the, if the was... You know, I love the was if, if the was was a bad thing and the, and, the, and the but is a good thing. However, you know, it could go the other way. If the was was a good thing, you know, the Bulls were going to make a title run this year, then the but is not so great, right? That's what's happening here. It's a was that everything was going to be good. I mean, just, just think about this for a second, guys. A first century Palestinian girl is no different than a 21st century girl. Let's put Mary at 14, 15, whatever she is. She's at marriageable age, but she's still young. So equate that to a, maybe an older teenager in our culture today. Well, what, what does she want out of life? She wants to grow up. I mean, back in that day, they didn't get jobs, so the only thing they could expect was to get married. That's what her hopes were. Maybe find an income stream somehow. Maybe she could sell something, do something else, to establish some stability, to put an extra room on the house, and then maybe to have a baby or five or whatever God was going to give her. But that was a dream that Mary had. That was her was, okay? Get that? And then what happened? Then a but happened. A but. An angel shows up, says, you're going to be pregnant. Nobody believes her. Third trimester, there's a mandatory sentence. Big as a house, she has to go to Bethlehem, 80 miles on a donkey. She gets there. There's no vacancy. There's no room. She's shunned to the back of the garage where she's going to have her baby, her firstborn child, on the garage floor, okay, for practical purposes. And as Joseph and Mary slump into a heap at the end of the night with the baby finally asleep in a feeding trough for sheep, they probably thought to themselves, this is a mess. You know what I'm saying? 
This, this is a stinking mess. This is not the way I imagined Christmas to be. But is a grammatical word used in a sentence to introduce something that is true in spite of being contrary to what has been said. I would say that we could probably make a bumper sticker that says, but happens, wouldn't you? Because no matter how good we think everything's supposed to go, no matter how much we want things to go really, really well for us, there's going to be a but that's going to happen along the way. They wanted to have plenty of money before they had their first child, but they didn't have money. They were poor. Why do we know that? We know that not because there was no room in the inn. We know that because if eight days later when they go to, when they go to dedicate Jesus at the temple, they offered a sacrifice. And in the Jewish system, you, could offer a, you were supposed to offer a lamb for your sacrifice for your child when you dedicated him at the temple. Now think about this. Of all the people in history, don't you think Mary and Joseph would have loved to have been able to have a lamb to sacrifice for the Lamb of God who's coming into the world? But they couldn't afford it. The Bible says they sacrificed two turtle doves. That's how we know that they had no money. Was there stress? Well, I mean, you know about the trip, right? You know about no room at the end. You know about 80 miles on a donkey. You get that, right? I don't care how bad your Christmas trip is going to be. I don't care if your old aunt dies and you have to strap her to the top of the family truckster and get her the rest of the way there. It's still not going to be as bad as what Mary and Joseph had to go through. What else is going on? Well, politics. You say, well, politics aren't so great today. I, I don't know. Does it matter? The Romans didn't like the Jews so much that, that, that they, they put this census together and they made everybody come back and count them. And then when they found out about baby Jesus, Herod killed all the babies in the region to try to make sure that baby Jesus hadn't survived. That's a mess. What about us? We have messy things in our lives. I mean, I'm trying to relate this to you. Maybe, maybe you're new to the area and your abrupt move was not on the back of a donkey, but it was a U-Haul to a place where you didn't think you were going to end up. End up. Your kids, you know, not a virgin birth, but maybe one that produced children whose needs are such that you didn't know that you could deal with them and you still don't. Physical pain, not a donkey ride or labor pains, okay? But real suffering, bad health that changes all your plans and hampers your life. I know many of you are in that situation this Christmas and you didn't want to be. Could there be pressure in your life? Maybe not from Caesar Augustus, but I don't know, the IRS, new health care regulations, your employer, your aging parent, your adult child moving back in, you know, your parents on your back about something. I mean, there, there's pressure from everywhere. Could you feel lonely this Christmas, like you don't know where your place is? Maybe you weren't shunned to the back of a barn, but you might feel like it. Maybe you're lonely and you're feeling like you don't belong or you don't fit in, okay? And maybe, you know, there's no room in the inn for you, wherever it is that you think that inn ought to be. Maybe you also married someone with a child that wasn't yours, and that's not going so well. Maybe you're in a lonely marriage. Maybe you're single and wishing an angel would... For crying out loud, show up to somebody and tell them to marry you, right? So what do you do when things get messy? Now this is what we learned today from the story of the first messy Christmas. Okay. What do we do when things get messy? What did Mary and Joseph do when things got messy? Listen to this. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words. This is after the angel shows up. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. That, that sums up the beginning of the first Christmas. Greatly troubled. I read about two doctors that were talking one day, and, and the one doctor said, hey, what's up with Sister Angelica, man? She, she ran down the hall to beat the band. I mean, she looked like she was panicked. What did you tell her? The first doctor said, well, I told her she was pregnant. The other doctor said, well, is she? And the first one said, no, but it cured her hiccups, you know? <laughs> Greatly troubled, like any of us would be if an angel showed up and the message was troubling. How about like, hi, you're 15, and you're not married, and you're pregnant with the Son of God? That's greatly troubling, isn't it? So the question is, what do you do when your was turns into a but? That's the question for the day. What do you do when your was turns into a but? And here's what we find from Mary. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be in, to me be fulfilled. May it be to me as you have spoken. It's what we heard before, right? Uh, she believed and she obeyed. She said, I'm greatly troubled, but you know what? If this is what you want, then this is what's going to happen. In other words, she believed and she obeyed what the angel told her to do. Greatly troubled, but she obeyed. What about Joseph? Do you seriously think that you would have believed Mary's story either? I mean, I never give Joseph any hard time about not believing this story, right? He understands how this works. I tweeted this week, if you follow me on Twitter, there was a story in Popular Science Magazine. Cover article was, you know, Mary with the baby Jesus. And, and, the, and the title of the article was, Could There Have Really Been a Virgin Birth? In Popular Science Magazine. And they went through this whole long article about how it's impossible that, that a virgin would give birth. I mean, evidently there are some animals, not mammals, but there are some animals that could actually have a virgin birth. I, I, I didn't know that, okay? The problem for me was like, why, why are you telling me this? We all, you know, Christians aren't stupid, all right? We know how this works, you know? A and B get together and make C. We understand this. You know, we've been procreating for quite a long time. We understand how the whole reproductive system works. Joseph understands how the reproductive system works. The whole point of Christmas is that this was a miracle, okay? In case you're, in case you're forgetting that, it's not like, oh, wow, who, who would have thought it? Science is never going to prove that that could work because it's a miracle. But Joseph gets this. And I love this scene. I'm going to show you a couple scenes from the Nativity movie today because I want you to see, you know, the, the, the realness. This is a movie that came out several years ago. Just look at the realness in Joseph as he finds out that Mary's pregnant. You've never really told me of your dream. Your dream? No, please. Tell me. The angel came to me. And he told me the child within you had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that I should not be afraid. Are you afraid? Yes. Are you? Yes. The realness that goes on when you watch this movie is really important. I mean, you know, watch Christmas Vacation, but, but sit down and watch the Nativity movie so you can see what goes on. When Joseph woke up, what happened after the angel came? When Joseph woke up, 
He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. I underlined that phrase because I wanted you to grab a hold of it. I wanted you to understand what it was that Joseph did. And I'm going to underline all the obedience passages in the Christmas story so that you can grab a hold of this. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right. When Joseph woke up from his dream, the Bible says he did exactly what God commanded him. That meant raising a child that wasn't his. That meant fleeing Bethlehem in the middle of the night because crazy King Herod was trying to kill them. That meant waiting until the baby was delivered before they consummated the marriage. That meant there's more to this story. There's more sacrifice in this story than you really think about in the beginning. Joel Gregory said it this way. He said, before this, the biggest decision Joseph ever made was which grain of wood matched the table leg. Now he found himself confronted with some of the greatest issues of the ages. Isn't that true? When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Watch this again. And he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. What did Joseph do? He did what God told him to do. Go to Egypt, guys. This is not like go to Joliet. This is like go to Nebraska. Are you with me? It's not an easy trip. After Herod died, angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. What did he do? He did what the angel told him. Mary and Joseph had difficult circumstances. They had a lot of was and but in that very first Christmas. But what did they do every time? Every time they did exactly what they knew they were supposed to do. They obeyed what they knew. Now here's what, I, here's, here's what you're saying to me right now. If you haven't checked out already, here's what you're saying to me right now. You're like, dude, because that's how you talk. Dude, if I had an angel appear to me in a dream, I would obey too, right? I know you were saying that. You don't have to raise your hand. I know you were. You're like, yeah, they had an angel, Okay. If I had an angel, I would obey. Let me tell you something. God already sent you a message. Joseph got an angel, but Joseph didn't have the Bible yet. Understand this, all right? So don't mess with me. Joseph got an angel. You got this. This is better. The Bible says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Joseph didn't get to hear Jesus yet whom he appointed heir of all things and made the universe, okay? Do you see the difference? No, it'd still be cool to have an angel, all right? I get that. Definitely would want to be touched by an angel. I like that, okay? But do I believe that God still instructs us today? Absolutely, I do. Do I believe that God could instruct supernaturally outside of his word? Absolutely, I do. We heard that story last week. If you weren't here last week, you need to go online and listen to Naeem Fazel, who actually got to see Jesus, in a vision, Jesus appeared to him, I don't know. I'm not going to tell him it didn't happen because I hear that happening from all over Muslim lands, all over Islamic countries where Jesus is just literally appearing to people because he's not going to wait on us anymore. You know, Jesus doesn't have to, he doesn't have to have me. That's my job while I'm here, your job to tell people about Jesus, but he, he, could, he could work outside of that. He did with the Apostle Paul. He did it in the, in the Bible. I believe that it could still happen today. Absolutely, I believe it, and it would be awesome 
And I hope he pops down like right during communion and says hi to us and Merry Christmas. I really, really do, physically. But spiritually, I know he will be here. And spiritually, he has already given us a ton of stuff for us to know right here. Now, someday we'll get to see Jesus for, for sure one way or the other up close, face to face, and it will be awesome. But right now, I don't think it's about an angel showing up and saying, this is what you need to do in your next step of your life. I think it's about the general things that we already know that we're supposed to understand. Am I right? I don't know. Here's what, here's what you say. I don't know if, if, if God wants you to go on Thursday night over to your neighbor's house and take them a pumpkin pie and invite them to the Monday night service. I don't know that. What do I know? Well, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So they don't go to church. I think that would be inviting them to a Christmas Eve service. And if they don't have pie, it would be taking them pie. And if they don't have enough money to pay their electric bill, it would be doing that too. It would be, it would be loving your neighbor. I get that, right? Does God want you to go to Africa and take care of an AIDS orphan? I don't know. What do I know he wants me to do? He wants me to take care of the poor. Why do I know this? Because he said in Matthew 25, the king is going to reply, you know, I tell you, whatever you have done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. I know this. Does God want me to marry? Does he want you to marry a specific person like he did Joseph? Does God say, okay, you're supposed to marry Mary, not Sally? I mean, is that going to happen to you? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you'll have a vision. Maybe that'll happen. Here's what I do know. Uh, I know that you're not supposed to be yoked with an unbeliever, so if Mary and Sally don't believe in Jesus, you shouldn't marry either one of them. I know that already. You see what I'm saying? I like the way Mark Twain said it, you know, because he's Mark Twain. It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. There's a whole lot of stuff in here I ought to be obeying already that I'm probably not. So why would God send an angel to me and tell me to obey something else when I'm not already doing this? You may not figure it out exactly. All right? You may not figure it out exactly. There's a hilarious passage in Acts 16. You would think that the Apostle Paul knew exactly where he was supposed to go at all times, right? I mean, he's the guy that, that Jesus knocked off of his horse with this vision. He's the guy that, that Jesus called specifically and said, you're going to go to the Gentiles. And, and Paul went all around the area preaching to different people. Listen to this passage in Acts 16. It cracks me up. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there either. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul finally has a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. I know you don't know where all these places are. It doesn't matter. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. We went to Macedonia, concluding, <laughs> I love this phrase, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Finally, a vision. It finally took that, right? Oh, duh, we're supposed to go to Macedonia. I mean, you read this passage, and it feels like Elf in New York City, right? I mean, he just has no idea where to go. He's just going through the turnstile, picking gum up off the rail. He has no idea. Congratulations. He doesn't have any idea where he's going. How could that happen to the Apostle Paul? Sometimes, guys, that's going to happen. 
Sometimes it's going to happen. Sometimes you're going to go in a direction that you think God wants you to go, and He's going to tell you that it's the wrong direction. My point is that you should be going in the first place. My point is, if we obeyed the things we did know, it would make the rest of our Christmas a whole lot easier. Let me take you back, and for those of you who are still bugged about the angel thing, Listen to this, the, the, the Joseph thing before this. The Bible says because Joseph was a righteous man, he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her privately. You've read this, this passage of Scripture before, right? Joseph was a righteous man and decided to do basically the right thing. That's what the Bible says right there. What was that? That was before there was ever an angel. He was going to do the right thing. He had the right back in his day to at least expose her to public disgrace. And if he wanted to, they could, he could have her stoned. She could be brought like the woman in John 8 that was brought and thrown at the feet of Jesus and they were getting ready to stone her. That could have happened to Mary. But Joseph said, no, I'm a righteous man. I'm just going to walk away and do the right thing. There was no angel. That was just Joseph saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do the right thing as far as I understand it. And I think that's all I can ask of us at Christmas time. You know what? I'm not going to get everything figured out. I don't know if I'm supposed to go to Troas or Bithynia or Phrygia or wherever it is. I just know I'm going to obey. I'm going to do the right thing as far as I can understand it. That's what Paul did, and he was headed in a direction. Here's what's important. If Paul's sitting around playing Xbox, God doesn't show any, him anything, okay? He was already on the move. He was already trying to follow God and do the things that God wanted him to do. And that's when God redirected him. So here, here's what you need to understand. The key is to obey what you do know. The key is to obey what you do know. little boy was talking to his friend next door. And he said, I really want to get my mom something for Christmas. And a little girl said, well, you could promise to keep your room clean and tidy. You could promise to go to bed when she told you. You could promise to brush your teeth after dinner. You could promise not to fight with your brothers and sisters at the dinner table. And the boy looked at her and said, no, I mean something practical. <laughs> really, this whole making a list and checking it twice thing works great for a couple of weeks right now, right? Aren't, aren't your kids on be, their best behavior for the most part? It's really, really great. But it works for a few weeks at Christmas. It doesn't work in the long haul. The key to obedience is obeying what you already know for the long haul. And that's really the hard part, isn't it? Let's just be honest, right? The truth of the matter is, if we're Joseph, man... Let me just read this for you. This is from Max Licato. This is what he says could have been Joseph's prayer. This isn't the way I planned it, God, not at all. My child being born in a stable. This isn't the way I thought it would be, a cave with sheep and donkeys and hay and straw. My wife giving birth with the, only the stars to hear her pain. This isn't at all what I imagine. I imagine family. I imagine grandmothers. I imagine neighbors clustered outside the door and friends standing at my side. I imagine the house erupting with the first cry of the infant, slaps on the back, loud laughter, jubilation. That's how I thought it would be. Did I miss something, God? When you sent the angel and spoke of the son being born, this isn't what I pictured. I envisioned Jerusalem and the temple and priests and people gathered to watch. A pageant, a parade, a banquet at least. I mean, this is the Messiah. Oh my, I did it again, didn't I, Father? I don't mean to do that. It's just that I forgot he's not my son, he's yours. 
The child is yours. The plan is yours. The idea is yours. And forgive me for asking, but is this how the child of God enters the world? The coming of an angel I accepted. The questions about the pregnancy I can tolerate. The trip to Bethlehem, fine. But a birth in a stable? I'm unaccustomed to such strangeness, God. I'm a carpenter. I make things fit. I square off the edges. I follow a plumb line. I measure twice before I cut once. Surprises are not the friend of a builder. I like to know the plan. But this time I'm not the builder, am I? I'm a tool. I'm a hammer. I'm a chisel. This is your project. Max writes, I wonder, did Joseph ever pray such a prayer? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but you probably have. You stood where Joseph stood, caught in between what God says and what makes sense. You've done what he told you to do, only to wonder if it was him speaking in the first place. You've stared into the sky, blackened with doubt, and you've asked what Joseph asked. You've asked if you're still on the right road. You've asked if you were supposed to turn left when you turned right. You've asked if there is still a plan behind the scheme. Things haven't turned out like you thought, like they thought, like you thought they would. Each of us knows what it's like to search the night for light. Not outside a stable, but maybe outside an emergency room. In the gravel of a roadside, on a manicured grass of the cemetery. We've asked our questions. We've wondered why God does what he does. The Bethlehem sky is not the first to hear the pleadings of a confused pilgrim. If you're asking what Joseph asked, let me urge you to do what Joseph did. Obey. That's what he did. He obeyed. He obeyed when the angel called. He obeyed when Mary explained. He obeyed when God sent. He was obedient to God. He was obedient when the sky was bright. He was obedient when the sky was dark. He didn't let confusion disrupt his obedience. He didn't know everything, but what he knew, he did. He shut down his business, he packed up his family, and he went to another country. Why? Because that's what God said to do. What about you? Just like Joseph, you can't see the whole picture. Just like Joseph, your task is to see that Jesus is brought into your part of the world. And just like Joseph, you have a choice to obey or disobey because Joseph obeyed and God used him to change the world. So can he do the same with you? Max writes, God still looks for Josephs today, men and women who believe that God is not through with this world, common people who serve an uncommon God. Will you be that kind of person? Will you serve even when you don't understand? No, the Bethlehem sky is not the first to hear pleadings of an honest heart, nor the last. And perhaps God didn't answer every question for Joseph, but he answered the most important one. Are you still with me, God? And through the first cries of the God child, the answer came, yes, Joseph, I am with you. There are many questions about the Bible that <clears throat> we won't be able to answer until we get home. Many knot holes and snapshots, many times we muse, I wonder. But in our wonderings, there is one question we never need to ask God, and that is this, do you care? Because through the face the small face of a stable-born baby, God says, yes, I care. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, your name is written in heaven. Yes, death has been defeated. Yes, God has entered the world. Emmanuel, God is with us. Now, that may not be a lot of encouragement for your Christmas, 
Obey what you know. There you go, right? But when I look at Mary and Joseph, I want you to understand that there was more than just their duty and their obedience that got them through this. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you to understand what kept them going. And it wasn't a sense of duty or obedience, I think, that kept them going. What kept them going, it was hope, right? Keeps the Cub fan going. Next year, right? There's hope. If there's not hope, there's nothing to live for. What kept Mary and Joseph going, I would tell you, is some of the things that the angel said along the way. Like the angel said, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Like the angel saying, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. You may have heard that line before. That's where it originates, right there, with Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. There's nothing that's going to happen. Nothing that's going to happen that God doesn't have a plan for. So at Christmas, yeah, I think if you want my advice, what to do with your Christmas when your was becomes a but, it's obey what you do know, right? All you need this Christmas is to obey what you do know. Don't worry about what the angel might show up to tell you, but I also think you need a little hope. You need a little faith. And, and I understand, okay? If you're here, if you're listening to me, and you're a little skeptical of all of it, you know, the whole virgin birth thing, the wise guys, whatever, all of it, you don't get it, it's okay. I just ask you this, what if? What if this is true? What if even part of this is true? What if what the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived is from the Holy Spirit and she'll give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. You see that Jesus was also obedient. And that's why we have communion here every week so we can understand that Jesus was obedient even when he didn't understand it all even on the cross when he said why have you forsaken me Jesus was obedient but he knew who was working through him so let me let me rephrase it yeah the key is definitely to obey what you do know but the power comes from trusting what you don't know to your father who loves you the key yeah, obey. Definitely, you need to do that, okay? But the power comes from trusting that God loves you and that he knows what's really going to happen. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to, whom, to those upon whom his favor rests. Peace. 33 years later, Jesus promised his disciples right before he died, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You can have peace because you may not know all the answers, but you know who does know all of the answers. So let your hearts not be troubled. You can obey what you, need, what you know, but you need to be able to trust that God loves you and that 
He will take care of the things that you don't know. I've read a couple of these scriptures in the last couple of series, the why series especially. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's the promise that you need to bank on. That's your next year. You get that? Or we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That is the hope that we can bank on. Could Mary and Joseph see that at the time? No. Will you be able to see all the end of the story at the time? No. The key is, let me say this one more time, the key is to obey what you do know, but the power comes from trusting what you don't know to your Father who loves you. That's the key. He loves you. He's got the best thing in mind for you. And I know, I feel like I spent most of the sermon telling you you need to obey what you what you know. And, and I did that on purpose because we need to hear that at the beginning of the Christmas s- series, at the beginning of the Christmas season. We need to hear that all the time. I need to hear that all the time. Don't try to figure out what the end is. Just obey what you know. But what was it that kept Mary and Joseph through that first Christmas, through the, through the, through the mess of the very, very first Christmas? What was it that kept them going? I'll tell you what it was. It was the promise of the mess. Ayah. Good news, great joy, all people, salvation is here. Read that. Someone is here to fix the mess. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you came to fix the mess, and I thank you that you had to pay uh, a dear price for us to have our mess taken care of, and yet you still did it. You went to the cross, you went through the pain. You died the death that I deserve because the wages of sin is death. And, and then you rose again to prove that all we need to do is follow you, accept your gift for us, and our mess will ultimately one day be gone. You told us, Lord, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We need to have hope in that today. I could tell just from the way things were going in this sermon when I was talking about all those different situations that people might be in, that there are a lot of people that are listening to me right now that have a Christmas, one way or another. And in some way, probably all of us have a little bit of a Christmas. And in every way, all of us have had a messy Christmas. So we come to you right now acknowledging that you're the Lord and Savior of the universe, that you're the Father who loves us, and that even if we don't have an angel, even if we don't get to see the end of the, of the story, we can trust in what you are going to do through us. And we will obey what we do know, and we will follow you in the best way that we can, trusting in the fact that the Messiah has come. For those of us um, who've been believers, Lord, uh, we come to communion and we just needed a little strength. Let this be our Red Bull moment, okay? Let this just be our time to go, okay, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ living inside of me, the same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary and Joseph and empowered them to do all the Christmas things they had to do is available to me. And if there are people here who don't have that power, Lord, this is a great moment for them to say, hey, I think I want this to be my first real Christmas. Jesus, I want to follow you. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. For all of us as we commune right now, we give thanks in Jesus' name.